0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the Leafcast, episode three. I'm your co-host Taylor Scollin, and I'm here with Alex Blumenstein. Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, do you, I don't think we need to ask how they're doing.
1: wrong probably saying how you do it?
0: It's <laughs> perfectly reasonable. Well, no one can reply to you. Have
1: you seen that meme about podcasts? A lot.
0: No, I don't. I don't. You know what? Let's just continue. Okay. Uh No, I'm going to have to restart. Yeah, That's too so we're, messy. We're going to have to restart yeah. Today, we have an interview from our last meetup with Michael Lickford. We have the audio for that. And the audio quality this time, I'm happy to report, is pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. So... We've uh, we fixed at least that one technical issue. Uh, but before we get into the interview, uh, some news about our upcoming meetup in April. If you're in Toronto, it's April 18th. Uh, it's so April Lane, 18th
1: if you're not in Toronto too, but you might not be able to make it.
0: Yeah, well, it could, you could be in a different time zone. <laughs> well, how about that? It could be a different day.
1: Those are very good points, but, you know.
0: But if you are in Toronto... Try to insert
1: some jokes. If
0: you are in Toronto... <laughs> If you are in Toronto do come out for the meetup uh, our guest will be Antoinette Gomez That's correct. Who, uh, who will talk to us about building her own business from scratch in the cannabis industry and uh, it's a very it's a very compelling story. Uh, you can get all the details about that if you go to our website leaftoronto.com. and also it's just a really great uh, networking opportunity. you know we saw at the last the first meetup we had people didn't really talk to each other too much like there's a little bit of that but then the last meetup we had, which was the third one, You can see there's really like people starting to make friendships and getting to know each other. Lots of conversation, which I thought was nice.
1: Did you think that was nice, Alex? I thought it was great. You can really tell that people are starting to get to know each other through here as well as from other events. And they're all coming together here and catching up. It's great to see that this industry is growing uh, in a community. And that's uh, something that we're really proud of and really proud to work on.
0: Yeah, so if you want to be a part of that. Uh, you can go to leaftround.com get your tickets. If you get your tickets before April 10th, you'll get the early bird special, which is half off uh, your ticket price. And if you're going to the O'Canabis conference, we have a special discount from our friends at O'Canabis uh, for fi- is it twenty percent off? Fifteen percent off. It's fifteen percent off the O'Canabis conference pass, which ends up being about sixty bucks or something. So you buy a five dollar ticket, you get sixty bucks off the O'Canabis pass. And a, a
1: great meetup. It's, it's a real no-brainer. It's just math. It's just
0: math. It's just folks. math, folks. So that's LeafToronto.com. Now, Alex, do you want to talk a bit about the uh, last meetup and introduce sure, Michael? Yeah.
1: The last meetup was great. We had Michael Lickford of Bennett Jones. He's a really interesting guy. He basically helped found the cannabis practice at Bennett Jones and really one of the first... Fo- which is a law firm. Which is a law clarify. firm. Sorry, I should have uh, should have clarified that. Um, really one of the first law firms to really have a dedicated cannabis practice, and now they're pr- the, the most uh, prominent one. Uh, they have incredible insight into the industry in that they see almost every deal that is going on and act on almost 80% of them. We asked uh, Lick for a variety of questions about how he sees the industry shaping up, what he's seen so far, and how the industry got to this point. Um, it's great. Have a listen. We'll roll it now.
0: Okay, let's roll that tape.
1: Well, thanks everybody for coming tonight. Uh, we have an awesome guest with Michael Lickfer, an associate at Bennett Jones. Uh, many of you may know who Michael is, but uh, I'll, I'll let him do an introduction for himself through a few questions, and uh, we'll open it up to the floor once we get through that. Your questions will probably be much more interesting and insightful than mine. But We've taken a few from our Slack channel as well, so if you had questions for our next speaker, remember to join our Slack. Uh, so. You're, you're an interesting guy. You've taken a path through law. You went from a technology lawyer into a cannabis lawyer. Um, you have a really unique insight on the industry. Why don't you give us a, a little bit of uh, uh, a background on yourself, where you come from, and what the unique offerings of Bennett Jones's practice is and what you guys have created there.
2: Sure. Do I need that or I'm good so you're... I got enough mics?
1: Can everyone hear, hear Everybody Michael? Everybody can hear me?
2: Yeah. yeah, OK, sure. Well, thanks for coming. And... A lot of you came to listen to me, so that's exciting. I'll try and make it exciting. And, uh, you know, it was, I, I've had a long history with cannabis for non medical purposes, back to my high school days. And going through, you know, law school, I just kind of wanted to do things a bit differently. Um, well, there we go. That's better. Yeah, that's nice. Turn my <laughs> mic up. We? Okay. Get a little in the headphones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So, you know, when I, came, uh, when I came out of law school, in law school, a little bit before my time, there was all these cannabis cases kind of moving through the system, so I'd been watching them from a peripheral kind of angle, and there was really no pathway in for a corporate lawyer at that time, and I, I really wanted to be a corporate lawyer. It was, it was more on the criminal side and the constitutional side, and I leave that for the smart people, so I just wanted to be a corporate lawyer. And um, By the time I got to, to Bennett-Jones and started my law practice, it was there was no such thing as the MMPR, the M-M-A-R was in place, but again, no real place for a corporate lawyer. So we just kind of watched things unfold and I became a technology lawyer, Um, basically a corporate commercial lawyer who did really anything corporate. I mean, my mom still thinks I go to court, so if if nobody knows what a corporate commercial lawyer is, that's totally fine, I get it. Um, I, I barely know what it is, but basically, anything to do in the corporate world. We would structure deals. We would do mergers and acquisitions. Um, we would do corporate financing where we're raising money. We're, we're dealing with companies that are both private and public. So we're doing all kinds of uh, public financing work and public acquisitions as well, um, which was a great stepping stone to what led us to the canvas practice. But that, that was kind of the basis. And for me, coming up as, you know, a weed-smoking rapper, to put it bluntly. Um, I thought I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. I thought that was really cool. And when I got to Bennett-Jones, I kind of realized, I, I lived in LA for a bit, um, studying entertainment law, and I realized it just wasn't as sexy, unfortunately, as you think it is. Uh, apparently, when you stick the word lawyer after anything, it just immediately drains all the fun in it, so like, so. so cannabis law is a little sexier? Cannabis law is sexier. Cannabis law is sexier, <laughs> that's new and exciting. Um, and we're going to get into that. So I, I became a technology lawyer because it was an interesting group at the firm. And, you got, and the, the thing I loved about it, and this is the, the pathway to cannabis, was I got to deal a lot with entrepreneurs. So we do a lot of the fund work at Bennett-Jones and dealing with big funds like teachers and OMERS and you're doing that side. But what I kind of resonated with more was dealing with the young entrepreneurs that were actually starting up these companies. And so me and the partner who eventually started the cannabis practice, um, he was a partner in the technology, media, and entertainment group. And uh, I just found it exciting, right? You're working with young, smart people who are, and we we focus on developing relationships with those people versus just servicing them for this one idea they have. Because if you're an entrepreneur um, and you're a good one, you're you're gonna likely be a serial entrepreneur and you're gonna do a lot of things throughout your life. So we just kind of really made our practice about creating relationships with people um, and investing in people. And so that was our, our basis. And through that, we, we created a, a fairly successful technology practice. Um, it, sorry, we didn't create it. We continued working in it from some senior partners who had done it for years and years and years. Did some interesting stuff. Fast forward to about 20, early 2013 and um, or late 2012. I had a client come to me through a friend of a friend. And he needed something. And he couldn't afford to pay for it. And so uh, out of the kindness of my heart, or uh, maybe just a moment of weakness, <laughs> more, more so a moment of weakness, I said, you know what, I'll help you. It's cool, it's good training for me. I'm a young lawyer. I'll get a senior person to look at it, and you're off to the races. So I did that, and he said to me, uh, if I ever have any, th- thank you so much. If I ever have a real deal for you, I will come back. So in the interim, uh, the announcement of the MMPR comes. And by announcement, I mean, Canada Gazette kind of throwaway, and that's where they announce all kind of the new legislation. And as a lawyer, I literally never look at those. Those emails get immediately deleted. But it had the word cannabis in it, or marijuana, spelled with an H for some reason, so that was more more exciting. So we took a look at it, um, and we said, wow, you know, me and the partner I started this with, his name's Hugo, we said, "This, this could be interesting. This could actually create an industry overnight Um, out of nowhere. And Hugo had this great position. He's a a little bit older than me. He's got a few more gray hairs in his beard. So he had the uh, pleasure, if you want to call it, of living through the kind of climate change life cycle, where he was there from right at the beginning to right at the end, unfortunately. But he he went through it all. And and that was an industry that was born out of regulatory change. And so we saw this as the potential to have that kind of same impact. You're gonna change the law, you're gonna create this system where you're gonna regulate now the producers versus 40,000 MMAR home grows that are um, impossible to regulate. And this could be a real industry that could professionalize pretty quickly. So Hugo and I looked at it, um, back to the guy I did some free work for. He calls me at 8 a.m. on a Thursday. I was not in the office because 8 a.m. is too early. And he left a voicemail and said, hey man, I finally got something real for you. Um, call me back, I call him back, uh, and he said, I've been, "I'm the CFO of this new medical marijuana company, and we want to raise a bunch of money." So the universe just kind of worked itself out, uh, and I said, "Yeah, I'd be happy to do the deal." So we did the deal. Um, he, he ended up being the CFO of a company that's now called Believe. So they were our first client, which they like to tell everybody, and we're happy to tell everybody that they were also our, our seed client, because the puns in this industry are never ending. <laughs> um, so they were. And uh, we worked on their application and helped them along, and we, and that, that was a great starting point for us, really understanding the regulations. We read them when they first came out, but getting to work with uh, Believe, which, which uh, they were called First Access Medical at the time, um, was a great stepping stone. And then from there, a very long-winded way uh, to answer this question, Hugo and I sat down and decided we wanna take a real run at this and we're gonna actually focus on it. And the way we did that, and, and hopefully some lessons come out of this, is it was true, truthfully blood, sweat, and tears. We were not getting paid to do it. We did it all on our own time while we still had the regular practice of law with the clients that were still paying our bills. One of one of the, one of the four cut off. So <laughs> oh now you're back in. Now I'm back. Yeah. Okay, sorry. It's okay. So uh, now I'm off. I just hold, hold that. <laughs> I need well, another mic, anyways. I was feeling naked. Yeah. Um, so basically, we decided. Look, the way to do this is the way to build any business. And yes, we had this law firm as a platform, and that was great. And it's a big law firm. But we had to build a business within a business. So how do you do that? You do that with uh, marketing and business development and we did a ton of that, right? We started publishing pieces very, very early days when uh, no other law firm was publishing any pieces. We actually decided to represent people which no other law firm was doing at the time and only very few law firms still do and even fewer large Bay Street firms do um, because it was very risky. It's very easy now in 2017 to say, Oh yeah, well this is a real industry and it's professional and there's a multitude of publicly traded companies and with billion-dollar market caps. Yeah, it's a real industry. But back then there was zero publicly traded companies. Right? We were there when Tweed uh, first listed and we were meeting with the, the venture to walk them through just just to understand the industry because they just didn't. Um, so you know back then it was very risky. We didn't know if it would pay off. Uh, but we took the risk, we built the business, and we're here you know, roughly four years later uh, with a, a great array of clients. And the, the last thing I'll say is our, our focus from day one was never to focus only on the licensed producers. We thought that would be a mistake. We wanted to uh, get, a, get a great kind of overview of the industry as a whole. So we decided from day one, we kind of drew this wheel out and um, where the LP was the hub, we drew all the spokes and said, okay, what other aspects of this industry are gonna matter? What other kind of companies can we represent? And wh- and which parts of our technology clients can we get to transition over to the marijuana game and develop technologies for the marijuana industry? And so we just started doing that. Um, and, and it worked out really well, and here we are today. I hope that answered your question. Very I think
1: away. I, I think it was a great answer. And I mean, what you really did was built up uh, Thank you. Uh, You built up an industry and built up a practice, and now you see almost everything that's going on in this industry. So, I mean, we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this room and a lot of people who are in this space. Uh, Can you give us a little bit of uh, what you look for in terms of businesses, new businesses, medium-sized businesses who are looking to get into it? If you're advising a client on an acquisition or an investment, what are the intangibles um, that you look for in entrepreneurs in this space? I need this Um, or yell
2: yeah so uh, look I think uh, it's similar to the technology space uh, in that you know we're really looking for talent right talent is is key so you know early days people would come in and say we have the best team and we're going to grow the best pot and truthfully nothing has really changed we still get people coming in and saying that same thing. But back then it was like, you know, real estate brokers. A real estate broker would come in and he would hand us his card and it would be his real estate card saying, we, I have formed the absolute best team in the cannabis space. We're gonna knock everybody out of the water. And I was like, cool, who's on the team? He's like, my mom's gonna be the CFO. <laughs> my sister's gonna be the quality assurance person. Like, I'm not making this up. These are true stories. So, you know, I think on the, on the kind of softer side, it's, um, yeah, you don't necessarily have to have cannabis experience to be to have a great team, but the team is very important. Uh, we're getting to the point where the markets are a bit saturated and you know, I'm not a broker or an analyst, but I feel like there's going to be some exhaustion from the investment bankers to continually fund the exact same model over and over and over and over again. There's been a lot of money that's been pumped in to the space, so you know, we look for something that's different, right? We're sitting on the other side of the table and we want to hear you tell us something that's exciting different you have a different angle you've built up a good team Um, you have some kind of proprietary technology which is which is tough to have in this space so if you have that that's a great bonus Um, you know in terms of acquisitions in terms of those kinds of deals i guess you're really looking for synergies and and we have an interesting and unique perspective on it because A lot of what we do, and this is not what a normal law firm or or normal lawyers would do, is we actually kind of broker introductions. What I mean by that is if we think two clients are gonna work well together, we'll put them in the room. And the reason why you would never do that as a lawyer is because you're going to naturally conflict yourself out of that deal, whether it's from acting from one party or if both parties feel a certain way about it, you'll conflict yourself out of the entire deal. So historically, very bad idea. For us, it was a small industry and we wanted to see the growth of the industry and we wanted to show people that we bring some added value, right? As a Bay Street lawyer, you being a really good lawyer is table stakes. So we wanted to add some additional value. And the additional value we thought we could bring was we're gonna have a a great understanding of the regulations. Um, We're gonna have a great understanding of, of the Health Canada regulatory side of things. Uh, based on the size of our firm, and we have an entire government relations branch that sits in Ottawa, in public policy uh, office. And we're going to use our platform to create these introductions. So when we're doing that, what we look for is what you would look for in a typical acquisition or or merger, if you will, which would be synergies and cost efficiencies, and just really, is it gonna make sense for both parties? Um, We're still at a very early stage in the life cycle of this industry. So I, uh, you know, a lot of the acquisitions are probably less on the, is it 100% strategic and does it make perfect sense versus we're just gonna buy them because we have enough money to do it and uh, we want them under our umbrella and uh, let's, let's get them for now. So as the industry matures, and that, that's also a factor of them, there are not being a lot of players, right? When there's only 15 potential candidates to buy, um, you know, it's a lot easier than when there's thousands of companies out there and you have to do extended due diligence on how much this makes sense. At this point in the game, if you have a treasure chest, your best bet, um, if it makes sense, is to just do land grabs, right? You want to be the biggest and the best. And, you know, it's really a race to production capacity at this point. Um, Legalization is coming, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that later, so I won't touch on it now. But yeah, so, you know, in summary, we're looking for a cool story, um, a great team, if you have some professional experience, and and some angles we're seeing are, um, you know, are, are you applying some technologies that have been applied in other industries and have been successful um, into this new cannabis industry, so.
1: Great, thanks. For. Um, you know, why don't you just turn off your other mic, because it's just cutting in and out, do you mind? Mic number two, I believe it is. This guy? Yeah, let's, uh, let's cut that one off. See you later. All right, that should uh, add some stability to this room. Um, so, <laughs> We, we talked about what you look for and what's what's good and, and what comes across your desk, but you must see a lot of bad deals, right? And I don't want to get you to name or shame anybody, but do you mind, uh, is there one idea that you keep seeing over and over again that is totally dead on arrival?
2: Yeah, sure, there's one kind of uh, theme of ideas that we see all the time that is dead on arrival, and that's generally when people come to us with ideas where they have done zero due diligence on the regulatory framework. Right? So what I mean by that is constantly we get calls or emails or people coming in saying, all right, we figured it out. We're going to extract CBD from hemp plants and we're gonna sell it in Canada and it's legal. We're like, cool, but it's not. <laughs> no, 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 it is. They're doing it in the States, right, but it's not it's not here. So you, know, you wasted a lot of your own time. Um, and look, it's, it's not everybody's fault when they're doing that. It's, uh, you have to play this game where you're an entrepreneur and it's called, where do I spend my resources when I don't have a lot of them. And lawyer is generally not at the top of the pile, unfortunately for us. Um, But I guess I'm here to promote lawyers, generally, a little bit, in the cannabis space. And uh, a lot of lawyers are happy to have, like, pretty high-level conversations with you um, and not charge you, and especially us, right? We came from the technology world where we're dealing with a lot of startups and a lot of entrepreneurs who actually don't have a lot of funds on the front end um, and we believe that everybody deserves to be set up properly so call us run your idea by us but don't run you know run in run yourself dry um, trying to figure out this idea and then not understand the regulatory landscape so that's that's one idea I think that's dead in the water um, because it's illegal the other stuff is really just about you know, it's very easy to see when people are trying to make money from this industry um, and not being genuine about it. And I think that's, that's pretty clear. So when people come to me with ideas about some kind of box that holds weed the same way any other box in the world holds weed, but they have some kind of, you know, technology about it that it doesn't exist. And, um, and it's very clear that they are coming into this, trying to make a quick buck. And look, I'm not against it. If you you know make your money where you can make your money, and if you have a great business, then do it. But people that aren't genuine are not going to go far because a, a lot of people are not. just not going to work with them. Um, and those types of get-rich-quick schemes uh, with technologies that are you know not super useful, I think people see through them pretty quickly. So those are pretty dead-in-the-water ideas. And uh, again I won't name names but I've seen I've seen a lot of those and you know the easiest way to tell is if you've ever been to any of the expos there's a shameless plug for the Lyft one but uh and everybody should go but in in Vegas I go every year I would say 30 to 40% of exhibitors that are there one year are not there the next year and that is not because they didn't want to come back that is because their business has failed because their entire business was like they print you know, um, cannabis ready X on Y. And like it just, it has nothing to do with the cannabis industry, but they put a lot of money into it and they, they haven't done it the right way and they, um, and they try and get rich quick. And so, yeah, stuff like that. That is not to say though that I don't think it's a great idea to, to be an ancillary service. I think it's a fantastic idea. And uh, if, my, you know, if my brother asked me how I should get in, how he should get into this industry, I, w- I would tell him to look at that. I would tell him to look at ancillary and, uh, businesses that aren't necessarily touching the plant at this moment solely because um, you're agnostic to the regulations in a, in a certain respect and you can be nimble to regulatory changes. Um, and you know, there's, there, right now, uh, didn't exist before to, to this degree, but right now there are significant barriers to entry if you want to touch the plant and if you want to be on the production side, including the largest barrier to entry, which is just time, right? You're not getting through the health care application process in six months. So ancillary services are a fantastic way to go. I think they are going to be extremely profitable and I think there's a massive place for them um, in the future of this industry. So yeah, not to, to, those are great ideas, just specific ones I don't.
1: Right, that's fair. But uh, can we get you to maybe go into more detail on what are the great ideas? I mean, you can name and shame here, or name and name praise, sure. um, and I mean, talk about who's gonna, who's gonna lot of, make a lot of money, and also if you can talk about who's actually <laughs> innovating, right? Who's innovating in this industry? Who's changing the industry? Who's doing those types of things?
2: Yeah, sure, that's an easy question. Um, <laughs> who's gonna make a lot of money? You know, I don't think it's, it's any different than any other industry in terms of who's gonna make a lot of money. I think the people that are gonna make a lot of money are the people that um, run their businesses efficiently and successfully and are able to be reactive to the regulatory changes that are coming down the pipeline at all times, not just whatever's gonna be tabled in the next two weeks, not just whatever's gonna be launched on, on July 1st. We're dealing in a regulated industry um, that's a, you know, a living tree, I think is what lawyers call kind of regulations that are, are living um, and are, are changing, ever changing. And we've seen that in Colorado, right? They've, they've done com- complete packaging changes um, that have cost companies millions of dollars to comply with. So if you can run your business efficiently and be nimble and not be hardwired to however you're running it today, uh, you'll be successful. The people that will also make the most money are, you know, the pe- I, yeah, I don't know, it's a tough one. I mean, whoever invested in the stock market early is gonna make sure. the most money. <laughs> those, those people are gonna make the most money. I have a few names in my head, but I won't, I won't <laughs> say them out loud. Um, and just other people that are, gener- look, like, I, people constantly ask me if I think it's too late. Is it too late to invest in the industry? Is it too late to get involved in the, in the industry? And uh, my response is pretty, uh, pretty consistently, like, we're in the second inning, right? If I told you that you could invest in Budweiser two years after alcohol became legal in the United States, it wouldn't be too early to invest in what's going to be a very fruitful industry for the rest of our lives, for the rest of our lifetimes, and for our children's children's lifetime, right? Like, we are, it's hard to see it like that because we're living it, and it's going... It's going fast in terms of regulations, not fast enough for some people, especially some people in the room might be mad, but um, regulations are complicated to write. I wouldn't want to be the person writing them. I give them a lot of credit for having to do that. Uh, but we are going pretty quickly, but it's, it's a day-to-day life that we're living. And so you know, if we look back 30 years from now, I think we're going to say, wow, we lived through a really cool era where we witnessed the end of prohibition." Um, and, and, it's, and it's crazy and it's insane. So I don't think it's too late. So I think anybody that really has, a, uh, has an interest in the industry now or in the next couple years and has a business that is sustainable um, will do really well. I think the market's gonna grow. I mean, uh, again, I'm not an analyst, but I think that the data that's been thrown around is 14% of Canadians admit to consuming cannabis regularly on a weekly basis, which is the exact same percentage as Canadians that admit to consuming wine on a weekly basis, so, I don't know, do the math. That's a big industry, right? The rest of the world is also gonna to look to Canada for the way we're implementing, because we're implementing a an incredible system. People are gonna hate certain aspects of it, and that's fine. I will say, in the defense of you know all lawyers, definitely not politicians, but all lawyers, um, it's way better that Health Canada and the government decided, and by Health Canada, I really mean the government, decided to, uh, Introduce this the way they did as opposed to wait five years longer and get it perfect because that would have never happened Right, and so I do give them credit Um, The courts force them to do it So I don't give them all the credit But I give them credit in turning it around pretty quickly and saying look we're gonna unleash this on the world It's gonna be called the MMPR. It's not gonna be perfect And we're gonna need to fix it on the fly I would much rather that than us sitting in this room saying I wonder what the medical regime is gonna look like when they announce it in two years, right so
1: Um, I don't know. I went on a tangent there. It's okay. Can I I just get you to name, like, is there one product, like an ancillary product, that you think is truly innovative and changing the industry right now?
2: Uh, There's a, you know, one of my clients is is an interesting take on the industry right now um, based on a successful model in the mining space. Uh, I don't know how public they are, but they're basically going to be a cannabis streaming company where they're gonna take streams of production capacity and be kind of a, a synthetic licensed producer. And as a return for that, they're gonna provide a lot of capital to the industry, kind of fill a gap, because there's no debt financing right now. No banks are gonna to touch this right now or in, or in the shorter medium term. So companies are forced, you know, if they wanna raise money, they're gonna to go to the capital markets. Going to the capital markets is dilutive. You're going to dilute yourself quite a bit. And um, so these, this is a unique financial product that's going to come in and attempt to fill that gap. And they've assembled a pretty, pretty incredible team, and I'm excited to see what they're about to do. So that would be it on the, on the kind of production financial services side, uh, which is probably not what you're getting at. No, but... Uh, I know it wasn't. Uh, on the ancillary services side, really, I just think all the technologies that exist right now in the States whether it's same day delivery courier type services that integrate um, you know, into an app on your phone. Uh, when those have the ability to maneuver into Canada, those are gonna be great. The problem with answering your question in Canada is that we're really restrictive right now on right. distribution and production. And so your ability, you know, we've had people come to us saying, we wanna start a, um, an incubator. We've had multiple groups. very smart individuals try to start an incubator in Canada and my response is generally like great idea three years too early because the only thing that you're going to be incubating are licensed producers at this point really um, and other businesses that I think we're going to talk about probably later that just don't really fall in under the legal regime but there is an incubator in Colorado right now called Canopy Boulder they're doing cool stuff lots of cool technologies are coming out of there so In terms of ancillary services uh, or businesses, I've seen a home testing kit that's really exciting where you can test your cannabis on the spot. Um, I think anything that comes out in terms of being able to do roadside testing is going to be a huge moneymaker and obviously uh, a very essential product because it's one of the biggest setbacks for the legalization regime. Um, And it's a fair point. Uh, what else? I mean, automated trimmers are always, uh, <clears throat> are always innovating. There's tons of them out right now, and there have been for years, but I'm seeing a lot of innovation there. Um, extraction methods are constantly innovating. Like, literally every week, somebody's like, hey, there's a completely new extraction method, and like here's this new scientific way to get high, where you just, like, I don't know, blink, and you're high. So <laughs> every, every week, there's something cool like that happening. Um, so those types of technologies are exciting. Um, but I think on the distribution front, you know, not to I would try to stay neutral during this conversation, but Aurora has a really cool app. If you're a patient, um, you can get same-day delivery in Calgary. They send cool push notifications. They have promotional offers, stuff like that. So LPs that are trying to innovate that way, and there was an announcement today by Tweed where they're creating a new online platform and kind of bringing all right. their brands under one umbrella. So stuff like that is innovative. Um, was that That's was a good that answer. Okay? That's what was we're looking enough? for.
1: Okay. we'll let other people pitch uh, pitch you on innovative ideas after perfect We'll see how that goes uh, I'm excited. so before we get to uh, your predictions on legalization your expert opinions on legalization and uh, audience questions I want to take a question from our slack group so it's another uh, another plug for uh, joining our online community leaftorontocom slash slack um, the question is, What's the relationship between people who operate in a black market and people who operate in the legal market? If you're offering a service, so you're doing a consulting service, social media consulting, or even financial consulting, uh, to a person who's operating in the black market, what would you tell them? What's the risk that they're exposed to?
2: Sure. Uh, the disclaimer is they're not going to like this answer, but I will proceed in telling them what they don't want to hear. We're here for the truth. It's okay. <laughs> you're here for the truth. Can you handle the truth? Though? I don't think so. <laughs> um, look, if you're providing services to an illegal business and you know it's illegal, it's illegal, right? The black letter law means that that's illegal. And worse than that, it's technically proceeds a crime, right? Again, I'm not a criminal lawyer. I'll caveat that. What I'm saying right now is not legal advice. I'm just giving you an opinion on the matter because I don't practice criminal law. Um, but it's pretty clear that if you're deriving profits from an illegal enterprise, that is what proceeds a crime um, is defined as, uh, slash money laundering if you're spitting it back out for something else. So unfortunately, that's the answer. The second part of that answer is what's your risk profile, what's your tolerance, and what's the risk of enforcement at, in this day and age? And I would say, um, again, definitely not legal advice and definitely just an opinion, but probably pretty low at this point in time, depending on where you're locating Canada and depending on what you're doing. Um, and I'll give you a few examples. So for, for instance, if you're a United States resident, unless um, things have changed, and I don't think they have, and you live in a state uh, where, you know, it actually doesn't matter where you live, you're a United States resident and you invest in a Canadian marijuana company even publicly traded. Technically, when you bring that money across the United States border, it's proceeds of crime and it's money laundering because marijuana is federally illegal at the US uh, federal level. So are people in the United States investing in the Canadian cannabis industry? Thousand percent and they have been since day one. Their justification is the risk of enforcement is low. Doesn't mean it's not illegal, just means the risk of enforcement's low because it might be legal in my state and just because the federal laws haven't caught up, that's crazy, and I'm investing in a company that is legal where it's situated, right? Now that's a slippery slope argument because you could argue that sweatshops are illegal where they exist, and that they're paying minimum wages that are legal where they exist, but Nike shouldn't have those sweatshops, right? So it's a slippery slope when you get in there, but there is some precedent law saying if it's legal in the home state, Maybe, I don't know, probably okay. So the reason I bring that up is you have to look at the risk of enforcement perspective. US shareholders, some of them have gotten comfortable with that. I don't think large funds or hedge funds or large institutional investors would probably be as comfortable taking the risk, but individuals have have taken the risk for sure. Um, You can ask some dispensary owners in Toronto what it's like to take the risk. They'll probably give you a different answer. They're probably not as positive on it but the dispensary owners in Vancouver would have a very different answer, right? So there it's obviously regulated at the municipal level. The, the uh, municipal government has decided to just say, screw you to the feds and it's a problem for Vancouver and we're just gonna regulate it. So over there, if you're in Vancouver and you're providing social media services or financial service, some kind of consulting to a dispensary, I mean, your risk of enforcement is probably a lot lower because you're providing it to something. You're you're adding another layer to the onion. You're providing it to a company that's legal in in the municipality but illegal at the federal level and the provincial level. So that's another layer of the onion. If you're here in Toronto, I mean, it's pretty evident that... the government is not, you know, the provincial and and municipal government is not super happy about the dispensary scene and they're actively shutting people down. So if you're providing services to them, I don't know. Um, Is an RCMP officer gonna kick down your door because you're a social media consultant to a dispensary? The odds of that are probably low. Um, But which, you know, is the CRA gonna look into it because you're providing it? I don't know. If I knew how the CRA operated, I'd probably be living in the Cayman Islands right now. a much wealthier person than I am. I don't know. Um, But it really comes down to your risk tolerance. Unfortunately, to to everybody in the room and to the Slack group, I can't tell you that it's legal because I don't think they would ask the question if it was an easy answer. They know that they're operating in some sort of a a gray area, if you will. Um, I go so far as to say it's, it's kind of pretty black and white, like you're providing services to a legal business. Um, not a good idea. Uh, and you should seek legal advice. Risk of enforcement, that's your risk, and, and it's how tolerant you want to be. So.
1: Okay, well, that's, a, that's a good answer. I think it cleared, cleared it up a bit for everybody. I hope for our Slack group, leaftoronto.com slash Slack, to, tro- join it. Um, one last question from me before we open it to, up to the audience. We're getting a little short on time, but big trends um, in the recreational legal market, what will stay the same and what will change?
2: Ha, uh, okay. Predictions only, of course. Um, I think production will stay the same. We're seeing good movement uh, in terms of people getting pre license inspections and people getting uh, cultivation licenses and sales licenses. So, you know, I don't, I haven't personally seen anybody slowing down the process of licensing new entities that are in the queue. So it seems to me that we're going to continue licensing stat quo. Um, The task force pretty much recommended that uh, the producers that exist today would make a lot of sense as the producers of tomorrow. And in my opinion, it does make a lot of sense because they're very regulated entities and we have a good system for regulating them now. Um, And we've set a certain standard um, in terms of security and SOPs and good production practices uh, and it would probably be easy for them to adapt and be nimble, so I don't really see production changing other than I could see down the line, and again, predictions only, probably not right away, but I could see down the line some kind of allowance for some kind of craft grow-ups, something like that, right? Because I just, you know, it's not gonna be, it's just, just look at the alcohol industry, right? Look at the craft beer market. Are there gonna be 10,000 craft uh, cannabis cultivators in Canada? I don't know. Um, But I could see that having potential in the future if there's a market for it, where large producers' product has become somewhat commoditized and people are looking for unique strains that don't make sense grown on 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 a mass scale. So I could see potential for that. Um, on the distribution side, I mean, that's gonna be a massive change, and that's, that's the crystal ball, you know, billion dollar, multi-billion dollar question. Um, I don't know what that's gonna look like, right? I think there's three options, really. There's privatization, okay? Anybody can open up a dispensary and distribute and buy from legal producers, or you can be vertically integrated, and if you're a licensed producer, you can also open a retail shop. I would find it, uh, I would be shocked if licensed producers were the only ones allowed to open kind of bricks and mortar distribution places because I feel like that would kinda, people wouldn't be very happy about that and that kind of vertical integration would be, um, would eventually come pretty anti-competitive, I guess, in the sense that the barriers to entry would be very, very high, Um, but it's possible, right? I mean, Colorado has a bit of that. They have a hybrid system. Uh, but they do allow vertical integration. So there could be privatization. There could be some kind of pharmacy model. Um, but my prediction is I don't think pharmacies would ever go uh, dry flour. Just don't, I, I mean, it could happen. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for it to happen. I think they would go oils um, or other kind of derivatives would make a lot more sense. Um, and then you have some kind of hybrid LCBO system, if you can even call it a hybrid system, right? It's um, It would be... Provincially owned and regulated I mean it would it would probably be different in Alberta like it is today And it would probably be different in in British Columbia like it is today and and again different in Quebec and um, I could see that happening uh, Just because it would be an easy win for the provinces, you know Like it is in my in my humble opinion like do I think that's the best method. Probably not Um, but you know, would anybody in the room be shocked if I told you that, hey, I, I know the answer and it's gonna be an LCBL model? I think everybody would be like, huh, yeah, thought so. So, you know, it wouldn't be shocking. Um, it could be a combination of all three as well. And that's, that's what I guess we're all hoping for, is that there'll be some flexibility, some maneuverability where if you want to enter this industry, especially if you've already existed in this industry uh, on the MMAR side of things or you've owned a dispensary, Etc. cetera, um, maybe you can kind of pivot and come into the regulated framework and that could be a way to do it. So, you know, I, I'm not sure, but distribution trends are gonna be uh, massive. They're going to change the game for sure. Um, and then there's products, right? What are the products gonna look like? The task force report, uh, hopefully we can all agree, my opinion, Uh, it was a lot more favorable than I think the vast majority of people thought it was going to be. And I I thought it was great and it was well done. And they really did talk about derivatives and edibles and and recommended it in a certain, you know, in in not so many words. Um, So I think we'll see a variation in products. I think we'll see a variation in distribution. I think we'll see less of a variation on the production side. Um, And I think a lot of the weight will be on the province's shoulders to figure out distribution. And the feds are going to, wash their hands and say, we've done it, we've, regu- uh, you know, we've, we've legalized and regulated it. Provinces, you guys figure it out, however you want to do it, however you want to tax it to a certain degree. Um, but I think everybody is working together to a common goal and they know taxing it too high will not eliminate the black market the way they want it to. So everybody's got to kind of keep a, keep a calm head and kind of work together. Get, Uten, let's give financial. it up for,
1: yeah, absolutely. Let's give it up for Michael. And that was our chat with Michael Lickfer at the our last meetup in March. I hope you enjoyed it. I learned a ton from him. Uh, if you want to keep engaging with our community, you can come to our next meetup. We'll get more on that in a second. And also join our Slack community where we have all sorts of people who are part of uh, the meetup and just interested in the cannabis industry chatting with each other. You can join that at leaftronto.com slash Slack.
0: Very, very easy. That's a great place to be too, especially if you're not in Toronto and you can't commit to the meetup. The Slack community is a great way to interact with other people who are in the cannabis space who are trying to build businesses or, you know, advance their uh, advance their companies that they've already established. It's a really active community and we'd love to have you be a part of it. And if you are in Toronto, do come out to the next meetup, April 18th. You can buy those tickets now, leaftoronto.com and get them before the April 10th early bird deadline for big savings.
1: Big savings.
0: All right. That's it for the LeafCast this week. We'll... Hope that you will join us next time. And in the meantime, subscribe on iTunes as well and all that good stuff. You can do that at leaftron.com podcasts, where you can also catch up on past episodes if you missed those.
1: Yeah, follow us on Twitter at Leaf That's it for us today. Bye-bye.